Hi, you're listening to When Isabel Met Aviva, a podcast about rom-coms, female-driven screenwriting, and how to break into the entertainment industry. I'm Aviva. And I'm Isabel. And thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, today we have a guest episode that we are excited about, per usual. And <laughs> yeah, today we are bringing on actually my producer of the project I've been writing this past while and we're so excited because her filmography is incredible it's very much a nostalgic filmography for us like princess diaries lizzie mcguire movie step up tug everlasting just all these films i grew up watching you grew up watching too right yeah i was gonna say like (laughs) all of the best movies growing up um she did she was on she worked on freaky friday too which was like one of my favorite movies when i was a teenager same and even when i rewatched that one in more recent years it still holds up it's still funny even for adults i love yeah. that one raising helen <laughs> yeah I raising have, like, helen. memory of watching it sleepovers like these were my core movies so <laughs> um, when we started working together it was super exciting just it almost felt like i had manifested her or something because literally just all my favorite films from childhood so (laughs) yeah we're gonna we're gonna we're excited to talk to her um she's also in the christmas world as well (laughs) it seems to be a theme this (laughs) on our podcast right now (laughs) so her name is karen glass and we are about to chat with her so let's get started so we have karen glass here and we're so excited to chat with her and yeah, I've been working with her for a while on my script, and it's been so fun. And we're excited to chat with her about her filmography. Yay. It's so nice to meet you, Karen. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Hello, ladies. Good morning or good afternoon or wherever this is. Erin. Yeah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Karen, do you meta. guys remember? Yeah, right. <laughs> very meta because um, in the script in which uh, Aviva has been writing that I'm helping her develop uh there's actually a podcast moment in the script so this is a meta moment for both of us true (laughs) this is meta (laughs) I love that (laughs) um so how did you guys meet I think Aviva's told me a little bit so uh it's such a good this is such a good meet cute so (laughs) I um uh, I was, I met, found her, I saw her posting a lot of things on Twitter about rom-coms and maybe some Jewish things. I don't remember, but mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, this girl sounds really fun. So I contacted her. Uh, I think I, I uh, DM'd you. And yes. I feel like a moron saying DM'd because I'm a thousand years old. But anyway, no, uh, I DM'd you. I DM'd you. <laughs> that is, that's what you say. And and then um, she can tell her side of it. But uh, mm-hmm. And then Aviva sent me a bunch of her scripts to read because I wanted to sample her writing. And I thought the script showed a ton of promise in terms of she had a unique voice. There was a fun energy to them. I didn't fall in love with any of the concepts that she had written, but I, so then we started talking about, um, you know, was so then she came back and pitched me and my creative executive, Rachel Sklar, who's a dreamboat, um, some ideas. And then we landed on the project we're currently developing that we're, 
uh, and we put her through, definitely put uh, Aviva through the ringer a bit in terms of just <laughs> really making her like we were, we were on the outline stage for quite a while. Um, but the script is great and um, really fun. And now we're just trying to make it tighter and better. So we're almost at the home. We're in the home stretch. We're almost ready to go out with it probably in, the, in January, just because this is not a good time right now to go out with material. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that that's our story. That's our meet cute. And what I was, was, so when, I was so when I DM'd you, Aviva, what did you think? Like, what was you? You know? Oh yeah, I, I was hear this. so excited. You know, this was a bit ago, but yeah, I remember just being really excited because I, you know, of course, immediately went to your IMDb because that's what I do when I meet anyone <laughs> who works in film, and I was just overwhelmed by your filmography because they were all these films that I truly grew up loving. And truly kept rewatching into my adulthood. So I was just so excited to connect with you. And the fact that I didn't have to reach out to you, because I was so used to just cold emailing people and, you know, being ignored for the most part. Um, so it was so nice to be approached by someone who I immediately was just excited to talk to about, about your past work. And it sounded like we were aligned with uh, the kind of projects that um that we'd like to make you know rom-coms and you've made christmas movies more recently so you're in the holiday world as well and mm -hmm. yeah i was thrilled <laughs> i love this because it goes to show how when you're just yourself right like i feel like even just hearing that you guys met on twitter and what aviva was tweeting just i feel like that's that's so your brand aviva right and so i think yeah. it's really cute that like your dream producer kind of slid into your dms and was like hey i want to read your yeah. scripts and <laughs> i think it's um good advice to other writers out there right to just kind of be yourself and you never know yeah. what you never could know happen who's gonna see your tweet which is yeah. you know i was just tweeting kind of just for my like you know screenwriting friends and just kind of tweeting for myself and then Karen found me, so it was destiny. Well, it's funny because now she has to be careful what she tweets because she knows I see it. Yeah, she can't yeah. Like, like so she can't tweet things like, "Oh my god, this producer's taking forever." You know, like she's like, she's like, "I hate producers. I hate no." She can't do any of that. It's really, genuinely, a really positive experience, and yeah, I'm I'm really excited with what we've come up with, and um, and even though you know outlining did take a long time, um, it's been really helpful because I never. This has been my first experience developing something from scratch with professionals. And I honestly, you know, even though it does take more work, I think it's ultimately going to be a better script because we've, um, we plan we did so much pre-work before I actually, you know, opened a script yeah. page. So and I, I, and I, I really appreciate say, that. And I know we may get to this, but I also want to say in terms of process, um, for Aviva being so inexperienced in this process, she's done a great job both taking the notes in the spirit in which they're given, not, you know, a lot of writers, particularly early in their career, um, bristle and feel attacked. And, and, you know, but she's been so open to our notes and thoughts. And, you know, look, not every note you give is going to be a genius and not every note is always right. Um, yeah. Part of the skill you acquire as you go along in your screenwriting career is learning how to graciously accept notes, ask questions so you understand the notes, because sometimes somebody may be giving a note that's a not a, on, on the face of it the right note, but there may be something underneath the note that they're trying to get to that they don't even understand or can't articulate. So 
I really appreciate Aviva when we said to her this week, because we script is still kind of long, like, okay, we got to cut 10 pages. She didn't burst into tears, as many writers might. (laughs) Because because we are effectively killing some babies here, and some of her screenplay babies. And I mean, she knows the script's too long. We we know that. But still, (laughs) but but it's only going to end up being better because it'll be tighter and faster. and um, so I think that'll, but, you know, I feel like your graciousness with which you're receiving the notes is a really good thing to think be, you're going to be in good stead as you move along in your career, because that's, you know, taking notes is hard. It's hurt. It can yeah. be hurtful. And, you know, nobody likes to be criticized. And we try to do, I always do it kindly and yeah. make it about the work and but you know not everybody gives notes great and a lot of people don't take notes great like we I had a situation where I had a writer I'd been working with for a long time um uh, and he gave us um pitched us an idea we said yes we really like this idea and he gave us the first act of the script and we thought the tone was really off and he just mm. he just that thought we were wrong and so he we broke up you know we just didn't wow. proceed so but you know what he found somebody else to do it with and i'm sure it'll be fine and but you know so you have to you know yeah. the, look uh, you know you have to trust who you're working with and not look it's and not it's, always yeah. a match and it's not always a match right yeah yeah you know, yeah there's for sure and i'm not just saying this to be nice like all your notes like like I have agreed with them. Like it's not, you know, we've, we've discussed certain things. Um, but I think that we're already kind of no pun intended, like on the same page about the story yeah. and everything. Yeah. So I, I feel like you've only made it better truly. Like I haven't felt, cause I, I've heard, you know, about other writers working with producers and they have to take a note that they, that truly doesn't resonate or it's like a big story note. And thankfully I haven't experienced that, but yeah, if you, you know, I trust, I trust your expertise. Too, well, thank so. you. Again, yeah, not always, <laughs> again, not always right. And nor do I pretend that we're always right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's just very collaborative and yeah, talking yeah, things through. That's what we try. What bumps for you. Mm-hmm. We try, you know, don't always succeed, yeah. but we try. So <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> Karen, do you have a favorite part of the development process? And I was also wondering if you could clarify for us, um, is this your own production company and are you developing it with, um, I think you mentioned uh, Rachel. a partner that, yeah, Rachel. Yeah. Um, so Rachel and I work for a company called Everywhere Studios, which uh, she's been with for eight years and I was with for five years. But uh, when the writer strike happened, um, our lovely bosses had to lay us off just because there was no cash flow. So this project um, is one which will be on the umbrella of Everywhere Studios we did not get rehired just because it's just, it's a long story, but basically, so I'm working independently as a producer right now, but this project actually will fall under the auspices of everywhere studios when the time comes to go send it out, which is fine. It sort of doesn't matter Tom because Tom's great. And we're, we're, you know, even though we're not officially working together anymore, we're still collaborating on the things that we have in our, in our sleep. So um, my favorite parts of the process are, there are probably three. One is maybe four. One is opening the first page of a script in that hopeful moment um, that, oh my God, is this going to be a great, is this going to be a a movie I fall in love with? Um, 
I would say 97 out of 100 times, it is not. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, most scripts just don't deliver. Uh, yeah. Either it's just not my thing, or it's uh, it's not well rendered, or it's something you've seen before in, in, in every way, shape, and form. Certainly in rom-coms, you can have seen things before, but how it's executed and who the characters are have to feel like something interesting. <clears throat> and that the writer has something to say about, you know, falling in love and finding your person and all that. One of the things I really mm -hmm. like about what we're working on with Aviva is inherent in the concept of what she's writing is a life is a love philosophy, which I love that, you know, I feel like the best rom-coms do that. Um, yeah. So uh, the first page, finding an idea I love, particularly like when I've done a lot of book adaptations to finding a concept that I think is a really strong, high concept idea. Um, and then reading, you know, when you're actually developing a script, you know, reading that first draft and seeing how the writer took the concept or the notes or the development and turned it into, um, actually made it work. Um, and then, um, selling the project. That's obviously one of the most important moments in development when somebody else says, I, we agree with you. This is really great. Yes. Let's, 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 let's put this on a track to make this movie. Um, I will also say the process of prob creative problem solving, I find very satisfying. Um, and, you know, sitting in a room or sitting on zoom and sort of knowing that there's something that needs to be solved and sort of talking it through with a group of smart people who are creative, smart minded, like minded people is also really fun and satisfying and feeling like, Oh, I help make this better. You know, as a producer, you know, Oh, I help make this better is, you know, that's, I feel like that's my job is to help writers get to the next level in what they're writing. Yeah. So I have lots of different ping moments. The worst moment as a, as a producer is when you read a script that you've developed and it's bad and you're just like, Oh my God. And you just don't even know where to start. That's painful. <laughs> yeah. It happens. You know, sometimes you've put the wrong, you know, sometimes you put the wrong person, you know, producing is also about casting and I don't mean actor casting is finding the writer who's going to do a the good job. The, the right writer with the right idea or right concept if it's something you've brought together rather than bringing it to you. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes you've made, you've, you've, you've missed and that happens. Yeah. You kind of have to bet on people based on, on their past work, I guess. And yeah. And, and again, it's not always there's right. There's some risk, I guess. Yeah. And you know, hopefully you, you get it right more than you don't, but um Certainly when I was a studio executive, you know, you're managing 30 projects. They're not all going to work, right? They're, you yeah. know, you're going to have. And one of the things that I have learned since um, is when I was, when I was, I, so I worked at Disney for a number of years and I was a studio executive in the live action film group. And uh, I learned sometimes you've picked the wrong person and it's kinder to just, just move on sometimes because what I would do is I would work for months to try to fix what wasn't working and it was broken. And it was, so you put the, you're putting the writer through terrible stress and you're putting everybody through the ringer trying to fix. Sometimes stuff can be made better, but sometimes you'd really just have 
the version of the movie they're writing is just never going to get made. And so even though it's hard to say to somebody, look, we're going to have to move on. And this is when it's like an assignment, not something somebody necessarily is their own project. But that's hard to say to somebody, look, we're going to have to move on. But sometimes that's the kinder thing, because then you're going to put them through months yeah. of torture trying to make something right that is never going to get right. I didn't really learn that, I have to admit, until after I was an executive. And I wish I had known that. Uh, I wish I'd had the courage. I thought I was being kinder by helping somebody try to fix it. And in some ways, it's, that's that's more torturous. Yeah, that sounds tough, for yeah, sure. Into that. Yeah. So you're mentioning Disney, which we would love to chat with you about because a lot sure. of those nostalgic projects um, so were from Disney. I'll give you the, my, you want my trajectory? So yeah, um, that'd be great. I was born, born and raised in Baltimore, uh, went to college in Philadelphia, went to UPenn, majored in history, American history and accounting because apparently <laughs> I never got out of the the letter A's in the course guide. And, um, uh, and I, I was interested in a lot of different things in college. I ran, uh, I was the head of the student, uh, entertainment group, meaning I, we ran a film series and we had a cafe and we did musicals and music, music shows and things like that. And I always loved movies, movies and television growing up. I was, I was the girl who did her, her calculus homework in front of TV, watching the Brady Bunch. And, um, which was not good for the Brady Bunch or for my calculus homework. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, you know, I loved musicals and I loved rom-coms growing up. The rom-coms were a thing that sort of came a little later, but, you know, I loved, I loved really my favorite thing was, you know, musicals and I loved Casablanca and I loved all those movies, the seventies and eighties, the seventies. Mm -hmm. And, um, as a family, we went to the, you know, we went to theater a little bit we you know my parents didn't have a ton of money but my mother definitely exposed us to musical theater early on and and things like that and we were all um my sister was a musician is a musician still um my brother was in the shows in high school i was i was in the drama society and i directed actually a children's theater version of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which I wrote. Yes. I wrote all the. I did all the songs to um, Hanukkah tunes. By the way, Aviva. Um, oh, I didn't know uh, this. <laughs> um, and um, and then at Penn, I did like I said, I did the uh, I did the the movie series, which I loved, and you know, did a whole bunch of movies. And then um, and then when I graduated, I didn't really know what to do. Do and so I ended up. I thought I wanted to be more philanthropic and make the world a better place. And I went to Washington, D.C. and then realized I didn't want to do that. And so then eventually I found my way. I finally admitted to myself, I really wanted to work in entertainment, but I didn't know anybody who did that. I, I had one friend who, a high school childhood friend of mine who had come to L.A. and she was working as a driver on a tele. She was like driving the, the, the star of the show because he wasn't silver it was a tv show called silver spoons you guys probably have never heard of with this actor ricky schroeder and she was his driver because he wasn't he wasn't old enough yet um and so <laughs> i came to la and i went and i was like oh my god i love it here and i decided to go to graduate school as a way to sort of get to la and and then if i if the entertainment thing didn't work out i would still have an mba so i came to ucla got my mba and i was my favorite it was so much fun. I loved LA. It was, the weather was great. 
Um, I thought this is my place. I had a lot of friends. I was having a great time. I did a bunch of internships during my two years of business school. I worked my summer in between years of business school, actually at Disney in a studio finance job. And I realized, even though I'm good with numbers, I didn't want to do finance. And then when I was graduating, a friend of mine who was a year ahead of me, my wonderful, my dear friend, who I'm still very dear, close friends with, Selby Hall, she was, she had been hired by Disney to work in television market and national TV. And she hired me to, she was getting moved to London and she hired me to be her replacement in Burbank. So I started my very first job at Disney was, I was making no money, but I didn't care. I was relatively no money. And I worked <laughs> in international television marketing and I couldn't believe people were paying me to like think about television all day. And I got hired by the president of film distribution, this guy named Dick Cook, uh, to be his like MBA analyst. And we, and I had an unbelievable, the thing that got me some attention is I had an amazing knack for predicting how movies would do. So I became the numbers, the numbers person at, at Disney for the box office mm -hmm. grosses. This is in the nineties, early nineties. Mm -hmm. And I also, there was always two, some, there was two annual box office pools in the company um, with like 40 executives. And I always won. And, um, and I was good at like putting together the quantitative and using my quantitative and qualitative and just my feel for what it was. So I was working distribution, did a bunch of things there. Then I got moved into marketing and I worked in film marketing, which I really loved. And then um, after 10 years at Disney, my job was coming to an end because for political reasons, somebody was coming into run marketing who would want to bring his own number two in and it wasn't me. And so then they said, well, what do you want to do now? And I said, well, what I really would like to do is I think I have a really good sense of what works in the marketplace. And I really understand the Disney brand at a really molecular level. And I think I should take those skills and see if we can reverse engineer them to develop live action films. And much to my surprise, they said, yes, because it's very mm -hmm. unusual to move from another discipline into development. So I started working in development in, uh, before you guys were born in the summer of 99, jump July 99. And I worked for. You were my, born. I was going to say, I was born. I, I, <laughs> Sorry, born. I was watching all the movies that you were about to make. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I went and worked for the co-presidents at the time were Todd Garner, who's a very successful producer, and Nina mm -hmm. Jacobson, who uh, was my boss for seven years there. She has since gone on to have a really amazing producing career. She did the Hunger Games movies. She does a lot of the American Crime Story stuff with Ryan Murphy. She's done beautifully. And the very first thing I said to them when I came in, I mean, I knew them because I'd worked with them peripherally in marketing and in distribution. I said, I don't understand why Disney isn't making more live action movies for girls. Girls at the time, they stayed at the Disney brand longer. Boys leave at the time left the Disney brand really early and they're like, huh, that's interesting. And so then I started working. They gave me some projects to work on. I inherited some other people's development projects. And the very first piece of material that came into me that I thought, Oh, this is totally a movie was the print was the manuscript for the Princess Stars. So the book had not been published. Um, my colleague, Doug Short read it. It came in from the producer, Deborah Martin Chase. He read it and he gave it to me. He was, I think you might like this. And I read it. And I was like, this is 100% a movie. And I knew in my gut that the story about an ordinary teenage girl who finds out she's really a princess would appeal to al almost many, many girls, uh, many, 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 <laughs> yeah. many teens and tweens who we all want to believe there's something special about us, right? And so I 
your process is you come and you're like, okay, this, we read something, we love it, we pitched it. And there was a little bit of doubt about it actually, before we even bought the manuscript about like, well, isn't this just a Disney channel movie? I was like, no, 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 this is a big movie. This is, I promise this is a big movie. So we bought it. We bought the, we bought, you know, we, we negotiated a deal and then we went to look for a screenwriter. We, we hired this, this woman who Todd had worked with named Gina Wenkos, who was delightful. And we, we developed the first script and what, and then the first script I think was done like in May. I don't know what year that was. May of 20, 2001, no, 2000. And we needed movies. And so we just turned in the first draft of the movie and Nina read it. And she's like, I think this is, could be a movie. And then we had to do some convincing to the senior management at the time that why this was not a Disney Channel movie. And when we were developing the movie, I am not making this up. We always said, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get Julie Andrews to play Queen Clarice? Because <laughs> she was my idol. Sound of Music is my favorite yeah, movie. <laughs> and, and we all laughed. We're like, ha, 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 ha. And, um, and I... So I'm going to segue. So then before we turned the script in to the first draft of the script, Peter Schneider. So Peter Schneider is this guy who was at Disney animation for years and he got made president of the studio. He hated that job and he lasted, I think a year and a half, but he and I knew each other pretty well. And he called me, he said, Hey, Julie Andrews is coming by cause he knew her. And would you like to join the meeting? And I, I, I almost, I'm not going to use profanity <laughs> on your podcast, but I was like, does, you know, does, does the Pope, is the Pope Catholic? I was just like, oh my God, yeah, seriously. Yeah. So I was so excited and so nervous and I couldn't believe I was going to meet her. And really after I met her, I thought like, okay, I can move back to Baltimore now. I'm done. Like I, like yeah. one of my, one of my oh, Hollywood yeah. dreams is Hill. So Peter and I sat and we, it was just like a, like a, hi, how are you, Julie? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And I, and Peter said, you can pitch her the Princess Diaries. So <laughs> I, I told her about the movie. I told her, you know, we're developing this movie and there's a role for you. We would love for you to do. Um, and she says, oh, that sounds lovely. I'm not going to try to even pretend to imitate Julie and herself. That would be more <laughs> profane. And, mm-hmm. um, and I said, she said, oh, you know, when you have it ready, you know, please reach out. It sounds fun. I was like, and then, and then I went home on a cloud. Um, <laughs> so, so then Nina read, Nina read the script and she's like, I think we should try to will this into existence because we really need movies for next year. And this was, tw- this was May of 2000. And the movie actually came out a year, 14 months later. I think it was that oh. timing. It came out in August yeah. of 2001. It's fast. And mm-hmm. it was really fast. So. Um, the studio had a wonderful relationship with Gary Marshall, who also was an idol of mine. And so they gave the script to Gary. And Gary tells a story that when he read the title, he's like, wait, the Princess Dairies? What's the Princess Dairies? <laughs> so he read the script. Mm-hmm. He read the script and he really wanted to direct. He wanted to get back to work. And he read it and he called and he said, I really like this. Um, you know, we had a meeting with him and he said yes so again it all happened like it was very serendipitous because i always thought like wouldn't it be great if we had gary marshall and he finds some <laughs> unknown girl who's gonna go on you know who's gonna go on to be the next julia roberts and like wouldn't mm-hmm, it all be great gosh. right so uh gary came on board and then he like, gary has a process uh where he wants to do the writing he and his team do the writing themselves and he ends up with you know 150 page script and he shoots a ton so then we start doing the casting 
uh, we had also, by the way, when we'd been developing the movie, we knew we needed a, I don't know why we knew this. We thought like, it, wouldn't it be great if Gary Marshall directed this? And maybe we had targeted it for him. I don't remember. But we need a role for Hector Elizondo, who's always plays a sidekick in the movie. So the character, his character, his name, I'm not remembering off the top of my head, the, you know, the, the, the bodyguard, Julie's bodyguard in the movie. Yes. Um. So anyway, so we start, you know, we start the process he goes off and does his pass on the script and then um but i will say the script that we shot is very much the script that gina wrote in, in structure he added comedy he added he added some some things to it but very much you know the training sequence um it, for princess diaries to what was written and what gary shot were a little different um <laughs> a little bit different there was some stuff he added like some stuff that I cringed at, but then I've recently rewatched the movie and thought, okay, all right, I get it. Um, <laughs> so, um, but so we started production. So we, we, we cast Julie said yes. And Hector was in, and then they found Anne Hathaway and we were all so excited. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we, they started making this movie and then uh, the movie was, you know, they, you know, they, you know, they shot it. And then I remember, um, we were going to have our first research screening. So research screenings are the movie's ready to be shown to an audience. They have a test audience for a Disney movie. You typically have parents and kids. And I remember it was at the AMC Woodland Hills, which means nothing to you guys, but it was at the AMC <laughs> Woodland Hills at the time. And I remember before the screening sitting with my mentor, Dick Cook, who was now by now the president of the studio, I think. And I said to him, if this movie doesn't work for the audience, then I, you should fire me from development, which what a stupid thing to say to somebody. But anyway, but it was partly because I so believed that this concept would work for yeah. the audience and it scored, you know, and then the movie scored huge and, and at the time, you know, and then it opened and it was a big success and it went on to, you know, make a lot of money for the company and at the time was, was one of the biggest one of the bigger live action Disney successes, which were subsequently, you know, dwarf, we were dwarfed by, you know, pirates and all that. Um, yeah. But um, it was very thrilling for the movie to work and for the audience to love it. And all my friends, <clears throat> a number of my best friends, their daughters were like eight, seven, eight, nine years old. And there was an event at the El Capitan theater, which is Disney's landmark theater on Hollywood Boulevard. They do all the premieres there. And there was an event where there was going to be a screening and then a tea after this like lovely tea. Oh and they all it. got, I mean, I've got to bring them all. And yeah. Julie and Julie Andrews and Anne Hathaway were there. And it was really so sweet. We still talk about that. It was very sweet. <laughs> so anyway, so after that movie, the princess genre worked. And this was also at a time in Hollywood when nobody was making movies for teen girls because the, for a number of reasons, some economic, some socioeconomic, some political, and I don't mean politics like politics. I mean, political about typically male studio heads did not care about making movies for teen girls. So one of the things that I actually did is I remember um, an executive at a, at a competing studio called me she's, and she said, thank you, because now I can get this movie I've been trying to get made, made, which is really great. So after Princess Darius came out, we knew there was a market for these two-handers where you have an adult and a kid, a teen girl and an adult. Um, and so then Freaky Friday happened. And then um, I also, and then, um, and then we started developing Princess Diaries 2 because um, we knew that there was, it was such a popular title and so beloved. 
And then, um, and then how Ice Princess came about is that I always loved ice skating and ice skating. I can't ice skate. I can't do anything. I'm super unathletic. And um, like, I love movies about things I'm terrible at, like ice skating. Right. So uh, this producer I knew gave me this script for an ice skating movie and I read it and the script was not for us. But I said to her, you know, I love the idea of doing a teen girl ice skating movie. So I went to Nina, my boss, and I said, could we, can I develop, you know, can, can I go and often develop an ice skating movie and we can call it Ice Princess. Basically, they would have greenlit the movie off the, basically, by the way, that movie got made off the title, really, because of yeah. off title Ice Princess, because like it's anything okay. princess at that moment, at that moment was working. So mm-hmm. for that movie, we actually hired Meg Cabot, who had written the Princess Diaries books to write a screenplay. And uh, she wrote something that didn't really work, but it was fun to read. And But not, that's not her metier. So then I um, was looking for somebody to come in and write something. And I had read the script by this writer, Hadley Davis, who's still a friend. And she came in and she pitched this idea of this girl who used math. She was a math nerd, but she really loved to ice skate. And by the way, I think this movie is far from perfect, but it's charming. And um, it was a math nerd who uh, taught, fig- helped girls figure out how to skate better by using, you know, geometry or physics or whatever it is, or calculus, I don't know. And um, and so, and when she pitched us in the room, she what, she, what, sold, the, what sold the pitch, which is interesting is, if you guys know the movie Ice Princess, is that there's that yes. moment when Teddy, when her, when the, when the cute boy Teddy comes <laughs> over the hill in the Zamboni to smooth out the ice at her, at her little at pond. Yeah, and we all so got good. really teary and thought that was, that's what sold, that's what, that's how Hadley got that job to write the movie. I was off that, that, I mean, there were tons of other great things, but that moment is, was like, that was such a great movie moment. We're like, yep she's got it we can mm-hmm. figure the rest of it out That's so so cute. It's so great so great and so you know sometimes when you think about like what sells a pitch it sometimes is a moment you know mm-hmm. the um and then on princess diaries 2 so gina went because our original writer wrote a draft of the script but it wasn't really the version of the movie we wanted so then i had been tracking this writer shonda rhymes you might have heard of her. Um, Who? At yeah. the time, <laughs> I know, I know. And at the time, she had written, she had done a movie for HBO that I don't remember which one it was, but she had written, she had written the movie Crossroads that Britney Spears was in. Oh, oh my god! And I remember on a Saturday morning going to see Crossroads and alone. I'm this forty year old woman sitting mm-hmm. and i think people thought like get your children away from her like what is this woman doing here by herself <laughs> and i remember watching the movie thinking this movie this movie is a little bit stupid but the t- <laughs> but the story the structure of it was great mm-hmm. um and i kind of loved it and so um shonda came in on princess diaries 2 she had just written the pilot for Grey's Anatomy and oh she God. was telling us I know and she was telling us about it and mm-hmm. and so she came in and pitched and she did this fascinating thing to pitch again 
she was just this uber confident writer from the get-go. So she came in to pitch us her take for Princess Diaries 2. And she did this thing where she said, you know, we'll do this and then this. And she, you know, we had worked out what the movie would be for her to pitch to Nina. But she did the same. She goes, you know, and Anne and, and Amia will do this, 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 and that'll be really great. Like she was editorializing her own pitch in this way where she just had so much confidence about, about it that you're like, okay, we're in, like, where do we sign? And so we hired <laughs> Shonda to, to write the script and then it got delayed a little bit because she got busy with her television stuff. And, but ultimately she delivered the script that is the movie uh, and then Gary added his Gary flourishes to it. And then we made that movie. Um, so that was really, I was thrilling to be part of Shonda's early career. And um, also I remember she came in and she said, so my, my television show Grey's Anatomy is going to series. And she said, and I'm sure you guys may know this. She said to us, I'm the very first African-American woman to be a television showrunner. And we were just gobsmacked. We're like, yeah. congratulations, and we're so sorry. And yeah. she was just a force. And then, she's, you know, she's off and running and having, just being amazing. She's um, incredible. Um, she's incredible. Uh, so now I made the Lizzie McGuire movie. And I had no idea it had any, like, cultural resonance. Until about seven <laughs> or eight, until about seven or eight years ago, someone asked me oh to come God. speak to a group of students at a film school in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. and talk to them about you know you know being a producer what well, i don't know talk about whatever yeah and i started talking and i was and then i started telling and i said you know so when we did the lizzie mcguire movie and there was the the audience went oh, like that like a hush <laughs> fell over the audience i'm like wait what's going I'm on right now i know I was, yeah. like, wait, I was like wait what's going on and i had no idea that the movie was had so much, had like, had just had so much staying power. So how that movie came about is the TV show was a juggernaut on the Disney channel. And they decided they wanted, they wanted to take advantage of Hillary's, Hillary Duff's rising uh, popularity. And they wanted to, they wanted us to make a live action, do a movie with her. So that movie came out in October. I don't remember what year. We started developing it about a year before that. We had, it was the shortest, it was like, I basically, my bosses came in there like, we need to make a Lizzie McGuire movie, you're making it, um, which I was happy to do, and, but it needs to be in theaters in a year, or basically, or a little more than a year. I can't, and I was like, okay. So, you know, I watched the show, and I thought it was adorable, and I really liked it. Um, and the producers brought in this writer who is a writer from the show. This woman, Susan, whose name I'm, forgive me. I'm not going to remember. I apologize, Susan. And, um, and I pitched the idea. So I said, here's what we should do. I always loved there. These movies that were made in the 1960s that were with, some were with Sally Field, some were with other actresses. One was Deborah Wally and they were the Gidget movies. There'd been a TV show called Gidget. Okay. I watched it as a kid. You did. Really? So there was I saw one show. on the beach. Yeah. So there was one called Gidget Goes to Rome. And I said, we should have Lizzie McGuire go to a foreign city um, mm-hmm. and, and find love. And I don't know what happens from there. So that's, that is the movie we made. And then, yeah. 
Um, so we started developing it with Susan and I brought in these other writers, Ed Dechter and John Strauss, who I'd worked with on a number of projects to help us supervise Susan to help her get there. Cause we had such a short window. We literally would meet every day and sit in a room and beat out the movie. Cause that was the only way to will it into existence that quickly. So I feel like of all the movies I worked on, Lizzie McGuire has for good or bad has the most pieces of the most of my molecule, the most amount of molecules of me in it. Um, and the ending of the movie where they reveal Paolo, Paolo Balasari to be a fraud mm-hmm. literally comes from my obsession with singing in the rain. There's no other, <laughs> it's a total steal from singing in the rain. Oh and so Susan did a draft and, but again, we were hurrying. So Ed and John came in and did another, did a pass. And then we were ready to go to directors and we hired Jim fall who had done this great movie years before. And we, and again, it was, everything was rushed. It was just like panic. Um, and he had the wisdom to bring in Alex Borstein, who was amazing as the principal. And, um, and so then we went, um, to Rome, we shot, we shot in Rome for the whole movie was shot in 17 days on like an $18 million. I mean, it was just, it was, you know, we didn't want to, they didn't want to spend a lot of money on the movie. They were smart. And it was, it was a mad dash. And I remember being in a, in the taxi or in a car service in Rome where we're trying to find what that final song is going to be. And I kept rejecting. I know, I know. And I, we, I kept saying, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. And then finally we heard, this is what dreams are made of. I'm like that. I think it was Matthew Wilder wrote that song. And it was like, yep, that's going to be, we all agreed like, yep, that's going to be the song that works. And, um, and so uh, that movie was very hard, partly because of time partly because um you know also hillary was underage so you didn't have her for a lot of hours um and her mother was there who was another influence who made things a little challenging at times for us um and then they finished the movie in vancouver um and the movie was charming i think that movie it's funny because that i hadn't watched it for 10 years and then i rewatched. i was like this movie makes no sense and it doesn't matter because it's really charming. And Hillary is just, Hillary is just, she's so good in it. She's just luminous on screen. You just love yeah. her and Gordo her. And, and the moment with Gordo. And I also remember, and I can't remember if it was my idea or Jim Fall's idea to do that thing at the very end of the movie, which was a ripoff of the Tinkerbell thing at the end. Do you remember at the very end of the movie after the fight? So Gordo and Lizzie are standing on the balcony and they see fireworks mm-hmm. after they yes. had their little kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, which all the girls squealed in the audience when that happened. As as they should. Yeah, that was a big moment. And then at the end of the movie, <laughs> um, there was a the end, an animated the end, and it, and the the history of Disney was you always did that with Tinkerbell. So we right. got permit Ooh. brand permission to do it with Lizzie doing that little thing, the little animated um, Lizzie. Oh. You know, you never remember this. And that, <laughs> I know what you mean. That was, yeah. that was it's like I those little that. touches, and like another little touch like that. I'm going to circle back to Princess Diaries mm-hmm. is. At the very end of Princess Diaries, um, we weren't totally sure what like one of the last beats of the movie was. And I pitched to Gary. I was like, what about if we put a little crown on, on the cat, Louie the cat? And that's, I think, the last beat of the movie. The and that, that was, I, I'm taking to, I don't take credit for a lot of things, but that was totally me. So, <laughs> um, adorable. 
adorable. <laughs> I know. So it's such a cute moment. And again, those moments mm-hmm. stay with you. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, those are some of the stories from those movies. It's so I'm I'm fangirling. Right? I know. Yeah, <laughs> same here. It's just like these films, especially Princess Diaries and Lizzie McGuire, like are part of like like tons of neural pathways in my brain. Like I've just watched them so many times. Yeah, um, I'm like when nostalgia. I was like... Their Halloween costumes for people like they they are part of our generation for sure. That's, Especially that's the amazing. the girlhood. No, I, you know, I, woman empowerment. Yeah, I will say I'm re- I was really conscious at the time of two things about these movies, all these movies is I wanted these movies to be affirming. First of all, you would never make these movies in the same way today. And I can thought about this. And I can say why, how it would be different. Yeah. Oh yeah. We were talking but, about that. But yeah, in, we're but curious, in, but we're in curious that to day, know. But in that day, in those days, I wanted two things. I always wanted the boy, the love interest to be the icing on the cake, not be the thing that they were go, uh, looking, going, trying to attain. Yeah. So in all those, and by the way, that movie in 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 I, all all of these movies, I I want to say in Freaky Friday, in Princess Diaries, yes. in Ice Princess, and in Lizzie, the boy is the cherry on the top for finishing her character journey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that I thought was important, but I also thought in those days you couldn't tell girls enough to find their confidence, find their voice. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. Princess Diaries is literally about a girl finding her voice and having the courage yes. to be seen, right? In today's world, you would not make that movie. You wouldn't, in today's world, if you were developing these movies now, I don't know if you would, but those movies would be about, not about finding your voice because girls are expected to already have their voice Mm -hmm. and have more confidence Mm -hmm. going in. It's a a completely different thing. I mean, I would say with um, Freaky Friday, that wasn't the character journey because she was already had her voice. She was just not getting along with her mother. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. But yeah, I, I, these films truly, I think, shaped, like, I don't know, like, feminism is even coming to mind. Just, like, how I grew up thinking being a woman, truly. Yeah, no, I, well, that's so nice of you. I guess that's good, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I think so. Like, I think they're about finding your voice, being brave, I mean, being really good core values, I right. think. Right. I mean, versus, like, Little Mermaid, where just lose your voice for a man. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. Right. Yeah, oh it's not the same I'm message. That. I'm on that. Uh, yeah, no, that, no, was, that, was, yeah. Not, that was not a good one. Um, so, But also then, the relationships between you and, like, other women in your life. I think that's. Yes. Yeah. Right, it's about friendship. Yeah. Movies, friendship yeah. is a big thing in all those. Yeah. Yeah, like really early on in the development of the Princess Diaries in the books, um, mm-hmm. this was not my idea. I give Nina and Doug Short credit for this. Um, they had gone to lunch together. They were having lunch with somebody and they came back. They're like, okay, we have an idea. I was like, what? They're like, we have to kill off the father. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> he was not killed off in the, in, he was alive in the book, at least in the oh, first um, book. Yes. I, feel, I don't remember if he had, he had cancer, I think is what it was. Mm-hmm. But they're like, if we don't kill him off, then you have a bifurcated relationship where where Mia is re- getting reacquainted with her father and meeting her grandmother, and we wanted the relate the growth mm. the growth relationship between Mia and her her grandmother. So we killed off Dad. We killed off that character. Killing wow. off parents is like a Disney thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say. And Freaky Friday too. Freaky Friday too. The dad was gone. Yeah. You know, yes. she tried to get a new dad. And in Ice Princess, she only had a mom. There was no dad, That's not really clear whether. Um, and in Lizzie, she had both her parents. So. Yes. And in Ice Princess, I'm thinking Joan Cusack is the mother. And 
I, I haven't, it's been a little bit since I, I watched it. I think when you found yeah. me, I rewatched Ice Princess and right. it has a lot of feminism in it, like more than I'm used to in, in, in teen movies today, um, which I thought was it really does, interesting. But, it, but it also has this weird message that I never quite could figure out, which is like, no, you should ice skate instead of going to Harvard. Wait, what? <laughs> but I, I do love that. Mom- the tiger mom and me is not okay with that. But it's um, <laughs> also about going to your dream. She can go to Harvard later. Yeah. Right? Harvard or always Yeah. All these yeah. films are about following your following dreams. Your dream. And, and there dream. weren't, I guess there weren't a lot of films like that before for us. Um, these like girly celebration of girlhood and following your dreams and not just being right. boy obsessed. But then there always was the cute boy. Like, right. love Teddy. Love Teddy. <laughs> Teddy was cute. Love By the him. way, Hadley's son, she, her son's name is Teddy. Oh, okay. Hadley, the writer of Princess Ice Princess, her son is mm-hmm. named Teddy. Anyway, awesome. she loved that name. Yeah, he's now in college. Tuck Everlasting. What? So that was a book originally, so, right? So Tuck and Everlasting then... came to us differently. So when I first yeah. started in development, and I did not really know what I was doing, uh, somebody gave me that script, and I had not read the book as a kid, but um, I knew the book was very popular. It was, it was on fourth grade curriculum around the country. Yes. Um, and I read the script and I thought there was something sort of interesting about it. It came to us from Beacon Com- Beacon Pictures, who had just made um, the Kirsten Dunst cheerleading movie, Bring It On. And this producer named Max Wong brought it to me. And we thought it would be a good Disney movie. It's a little, I think it was, so it was the first movie I really made as an executive. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And there were some challenges on the set of the movie, which I won't elaborate about, but um, that movie was lovely, but a little earnest and a little quiet, but it got very good reviews and it was good for our our group because basically when Nina and Todd came in to run the group, they basically started fresh with a whole new development slate. So much of the development that had been in development, they got rid of on the Disney side because most of it was sort of terrible. Um, it had been like the, the era of meet the, these movies you've never heard of, like Meet the Deedles and and then there was my favorite Martian, which is not a, which is a, sadly is not a very good movie, but it could have been. Um, and so, it was a good, it was good for our group to have that movie get get do well. It didn't, it wasn't a very big box office success, but it's a lovely movie, and it was Alexis Bledel's first movie. It was Darling, and Jonathan Jackson, Jonathan Jackson from General oh. Hospital, who I had loved him from General Hospital. He was my first celebrity crush, and I literally printed out a picture of him from Tech Everlasting. And I brought it with me on vacation to my grandparents' house, and I like hung it up on the wall <laughs> because of Tuck Everlasting or from yes, from, they, uh, oh from Tuck Everlasting. He he, this was like he. I loved him so much <laughs> from yeah, that movie. Darling. That was he's a like, great, and, and he's like a darling person too. You know, like yeah, he's a nice yeah, person. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that movie is is a lot deeper than some mm-hmm. children teen film like yeah. it's about mortality and death and and you know it kind of almost has titanic vibes of of choosing you know yep, that movie does. would make me sob as a teen <laughs> and a, and a kid i've never re- I um, watched that movie in 20 years i wonder how that movie holds up you i think one of the questions you sort of prepared me mm-hmm. for is um what you know what's your favorite rom-com so i, I, I just thought about say, this yeah. i think my favorite rom-com is when harry met sally Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it. it. It's I just it's so perfect, and it's just you're so invested in them. You want them to be together. The movie has something to say about love and life. Um, I was just in New York at Katz's Deli, 
So where where the Amazing. scene where yes. I'll have what she's having. So that's very mm-hmm. that's very seminal. Um, I just think that's such a perfect movie. I remember I couldn't wait for it to come out. I I think I saw it three times um, when it came out. I just <laughs> so loved. It. Just couldn't get enough of all the di- just you know mm-hmm. the stories, smart dialogue, all that. So I love that one. I think though it's not a rom, it's not a com. Dirty Dancing mm-hmm. for me is one of my favorites. Watched so it. Good. I've watched it four thousand times. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember when it came out, and I remember it did this such an interesting thing of like, literally Jennifer Gay gets Jennifer Gray gets prettier as the movie goes on, as mm-hmm. she as she starts to blossom that coming of age thing. Yes. Um, obviously, Sound of Music, Singing in the Rain, all those, all those, mm-hmm. all those, all those musicals, musicals. Um, mm-hmm. American in Paris. Um, mm-hmm. I like. Uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days i like act two mm-hmm. uh, act one and act two and then it, the movie does not know what to do with the yeah, very slow vein scene yeah painful but that painful. yellow dress but the yellow dress but the dress it yeah. redeems it mm-hmm. and the jewelry yeah but still not good yeah um I relate to that what are the other ones i'm trying to think of uh i didn't make a list but those are some of my favorite i mean really yeah. when hearing that sally sort of stands out for me as, and, and I feel like the key to any successful rom com, any romantic, any movie. Oh, and the Notebook, of course. Any movie with any romantic movie, um, is tension between the leads and yearning. So, mm-hmm. um, we produced a movie last year, a Hallmark Christmas movie called Christmas Class Reunion, and um, and one of the things when we were shooting the movie, I was on set for the whole movie, the director and and the cast and everybody is you want to create moments where the as the audience member you're creating yearning you really want these two people to get together right and in all the development we do for movies with romance i feel like that's the thing that you need to insert that there's not enough of in scripts today um i'm gonna do a sidebar here so i there's a tv show called moonlighting that aired in the eighties that was um, with Glenn, Glenn Gordon, Karen created it. And it's with Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis. And when, at the time it aired, it was this revolutionary show for a, about a hundred different reasons. And I was obsessed with it in the eighties. It was, it was just <laughs> mm-hmm. after college for me. And then, so it just, they had to work out a bunch of music rights, but it just now is airing on Hulu. And I rewatched the entire series there's some it gets the series falls apart in season five for a bunch of reasons Mm -hmm. but what the show does which i recommend for anybody who likes rom-coms is to watch it because they do this thing in the show where you're so into these two characters it's basically a woman who was a model who made all this money her accountant stole all her money and the only asset she's left with is this detective agency which is run by this wayward guy bruce willis plays and by the way it it was Bruce Willis's really first role and they have all this they have unbelievable chemistry and they drive each other crazy and the whole series you're waiting for like when are these two people going to get together right mm-hmm. and amidst all the comedy and the 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 mysteries and all this stuff and the the thing that the show does that I don't think you could ever do today on a television show is the show the directors let the show linger on the looks between them on the on the size s-i-g-h-s on the size between them in this way that movies television don't do anymore and so you're really like the you're building up this yearning 
Like you so want these two people to get together. You can barely stand it. And um, I feel like we did that. I feel like in step up, we did that a little bit. I feel like there could have been more of that, but instead in the first step up movie mm-hmm. that I, that I worked on. Love that one as like well. We and we, and by the way, when we were, that was brought to us as a script, which we liked, mm-hmm. but we did, we did literally sit in a room at a conference room at Disney trying to figure out what's the nobody puts baby in the corner moment for that movie like Kristen Burr and I who are the executives of the movie really wanted our our baby moment so um also the movie Crossing Delancey by the way if you've never seen is a wonderful movie a really romantic and charming Mm -hmm. movie um years ago I've seen it years ago it's really good Mm um so that that's sort of what I think about rom-coms and how they can be better yeah yeah and is rom-com the genre that you wish to stay in for the most part in the future? Yeah. I mean, I really like romantic comedies, romantic dramas. Mm-hmm. I like adult dramas. I like, th- I like thrillers. I've not really mm-hmm. worked on very many. Um, you know, we, I had, we had developed this one true crime series that, that was amazing that ultimately didn't go to, to series because there were some of uh, the original people and the story and who's the changed their mind and didn't feel comfortable having their story mm-hmm. be told um okay uh it was called real gone girls about a woman who was kidnapped and then not believed by the police that she kidnapped oh wow and oh, she, wow. then she was she was traumatized twice it's a really good wow. story um so yeah i like all sorts of things i mean i'm not a sci-fi person i'm not a yeah. horror person those are not my genres so I mm-hmm. can't, it's hard to work <laughs> on things that you just don't have a real affinity for and it was funny because when we were doing christmas class reunion when it was on set i was like oh all my rom-com knowledge is finally coming into play i finally you know <laughs> Watching these movies four thousand times is finally working. Right. Oh. It was all research all along. That's yeah, what it was all the research. research. Who knew? <laughs> right. Who knew? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's awesome. Should we do the quick fire round and then? I was just going to say, I feel like we're kind of in that yeah. already. Um, yes. Go I wanted for it. to ask okay. if you, yeah. if you had all the money in the world, you had a magic wand. What's a rom com that you would make? Well, I'm going to have to, of course, say Aviva's, the one we're developing now. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Um, what's one I would make? Great answer. <laughs> I don't think I know the answer to that. I mean, other than if the yeah. one we're developing, the Viva. Yeah. Um, I think that I haven't found, actually, there was a book I read that I loved, but somebody else got it called The Matzo Ball by Jean Meltzer. That's a really fun book that's going to be a great movie someday. That one I wish I had been able to do. Mm-hmm. So. I need to read that. I have I have the book. In it's my super room. fun. Yeah, it's super fun. And I'm there was also this book by Josie Silver called One Day of December that I really wanted the book, and someone else got it. That one was so oh. romantic. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Yeah, the rom com book world is just blowing up. So there's so much material yep. there as well. Yep. Um, do you have a favorite Christmas rom com? Since you have delved into the holiday genre as well. No, I do. Um, okay. No. <laughs> that's totally fine uh do you have a favorite rom-com trope like enemies to lovers or airport chase scene something like that i hate airport chase scenes i have to be honest (gasps) i because i don't believe them anymore because of tsa i think they're right right yeah they're not really Um, realistic (laughs) i think enemies to lovers is pretty fun i don't have a Mm -hmm. specific i mean the the tricky thing about rom-coms is the tropes are tropes for a reason, but they do work sometimes. It's just how do you take them and invert them or pivot them so they don't just feel like the trope, right? Do you have a favorite rom-com outfit? Is this an outfit I wear when I'm watching them or in the movie? 
I like, like that interpretation. Iconic, yeah, either <laughs> way, but like, we mean like iconic, <laughs> an iconic outfit that you've seen in a rom com. Yeah. Okay, I will say uh, Kate Hudson's dress in How to Lose mm-hmm. the Yellow Dress and How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Mm-hmm. So good. Also, in the original Beauty and the animated Beauty and the Beast, the yellow dress mm-hmm. that Belle wears oh, when they yeah. do the dance. As well, sorry, I'm not picking just one. That's no, and, <laughs> and I love the dress that Anne Hathaway wore in the at the end of the first Princess Stars. Oh my gosh, yeah. Same. <laughs> <laughs> those, I didn't think I had any outfits that I cared about, but those I love. Yes, I, I love her final look. And when she does the foot pop in the, in the, the garden. The amazing. The foot That's pop, all yeah. Gary Marshall. We haven't that was talked about G- the foot pop. <laughs> that, was all, that was Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall I, did that. I, so iconic because it's true. It is so romantic. I agree. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite rom-com line or moment? Um, sure. Um. I love the speech, not just the line, but the whole speech Billy Crystal gives at the end of When Harry Met Sally. When you realize yes. you want to spend your That's life with someone, you want, some, you want, you want, you want, start, I'm not going to quote mm-hmm. it correctly. Um, and then in so, addition, I think that the Tom Cruise speech in Jerry, Jerry Maguire is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And it's a little long, but it's really good. And he's so, he and Renee are so good in it. Um, and the music in that movie is so good. Oh my God. That's that Springsteen song, Secret Garden. And, um, so his whole speech about we live in a cynical world and you complete the, you, even though you completely has become its own sort of me- ridiculous yeah. meme and joke. When he, when he first saw the movie, I was, I, I, I inhaled my breath. That was mm-hmm. a breath inhale. Um, <laughs> so that's a really, that's the whole speech is great. I don't love that she says, shut up, shut up. You had me at hello. I didn't love mm-hmm. her response because yeah. I think he had to work for it, but it, but that seems great. Yeah. Um, do you have any recent rom-coms that you've seen that you recommend? Uh, Moonlighting. I really, I can't recommend mm-hmm. Moonlighting enough. I'll be curious <laughs> if you guys watch it, if it holds yeah, up we'll for you. It. I mean, cause again, I'm watching, I'm nostalgia watching it. Mm-hmm. So, and I will say the pilot's too long, but once you get past the pilot, it's it's fantastic and then don't watch season five it's bad we'll check it Um, out um and i mean you've talked about this already so like what are you working on what's on the horizon for you so i have a couple of projects we're working on and i'm looking for more things to be developing um you know i'm hoping i'm gonna in in the new year right now it's not the best job market so uh, you know i'm hoping to go work for another company but in the meantime, I have a bunch of projects, you know, stuff that Tom and I are still working on that we developed. We have this great true crime thing called Murder for Jewish American Princess we're still trying to make happen. And then we have a, and then, um, a Viva script and a couple of other things that we're working on. A, a Hallmark project we set up called um, Leah's, first, Leah's First Christmas about a Jewish girl who gets to go to her waspy, her boyfriend's super waspy um, uh uh, parents' house in Greenwich, Connecticut, and it's and it's horrible, and it's and it's sort I of horrible. Watch that. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. fun. <laughs> it's, it's not a book. It's not a terrific book. Um, so yeah, so a bunch of stuff like that we're working. Yeah, on. a lot of stuff going on. Awesome. Yeah. I was just gonna ask if maybe you could um, leave us with some advice to, uh, I think most of our audience are mm-hmm. screenwriters, 
And obviously, like you found Aviva on Twitter, but I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on like, what what can writers be doing right now? It is a pretty interesting time, right, for us to be writing and trying to get our work out there. Um, what advice do you have? And um, I'm kind of curious, like, where you think the market is going? Like, what kind of stories are you looking for? What's selling? Like, what are people looking for? And um, I, I don't think I'm going to. I don't think I'm going to be able to give you great advice for what I think is selling right now. I think that okay. the marketplace is, is a mess. And <laughs> at this exact moment, it's a mess. I think come um, mm-hmm. the first quarter of next of 2024, we'll see how things, you know, people are still going to need product, they need content. But right now, the studios are still in, they're in strip mining mode of their projects. You know, there's a bunch of yeah. stuff that was going forward that's now not going forward. It's It's not... It's not a great time. It's look it, as a young writer, it's never a great time because it's all about, you know, how do you get attention? How do you get somebody to notice you? Um, I don't have fantastic advice for like how to get yourself noticed. I just think keep writing, keep sharing your writing, take people's input for what it's worth. Um, don't believe your parents and your cousin, first cousins when they say your script is fantastic, unless they happen to be Scorsese's or some other <laughs> right. you know, fabulous family. Um, and just keep reading, keep listening to stories, you know, wherever you can, and wherever you can, and keep watching. You know, find the things yeah. that you love that, um, and keep looking for that great idea. I mean, you know, Aviva probably pitched us five ideas. And I don't even remember if this idea was in the first round of ideas. I don't think it was. It might not have been. I don't think it was. No, I think it was the second time. And so I mm-hmm. think that like she came to us and we're like, well, those are okay, but we don't love those. And we don't think mm-hmm. those are going to sell. So, um, and it's, uh, I should also add, I hope it's okay to add this for Viva, is I shared her, the draft of the script we're working on with a director, writer, a director mm-hmm. friend of mine who loved it and thought like, he's like, Oh yeah, it's too long and all that. But he thought yeah. like the core idea and the conflict between the two characters is great. Like, he's just like, this is really good, which was, which was nice to hear. Cause it's so reaffirming for all of us to just get some fresh eyes on mm-hmm. things. Um, yes. so I would say just keep trying to, you know, do contests. There's this thing I'm part of called virtual pitch fest where people submit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, but it might be expensive. I don't know. I don't, people could pay I've used it. it before it's and, like ten dollars um, a pitch yeah. oh that's expensive actually is that ten dollars yeah a pitch? Well, i don't, I don't we you can get packages it. but it's right. easy to spend a lot of money on that website yeah. <laughs> yeah um you know you just have to try to figure out ways to and if you're not in los angeles which obviously most people aren't you know it's hard to get break into the system i think that's the hardest thing of it feels like a closed society and but you know, the best thing to do is if there's somebody whose script you've read, you like, you can reach out to them, ask for advice. Don't ask people to read your, don't, unless somebody offers to read your script, don't ask them until, until they offer. That's, you know, um, makes sense, you know, and then try as best as you can to be in situations environments where you can meet other writers because that's the best way to do it karen thank you so much uh for chatting with us today i feel like i have so i could talk about your filmography for another like three hours Um, or just listen to your stories (laughs) yes yes it's it's been such a great chat and we really appreciate you taking the time oh it's been my pleasure it's been super fun to reminisce and try to remember things that i barely remember 
Um, <laughs> but I think this is great. I hope you guys continue to have success with the podcast and obviously with your writing career. So that's more important. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. This has been an episode of When Isabel Met Aviva. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date with our episodes, please subscribe. Bonus points if you leave us a positive review. You can follow us on Instagram at when Isabel met Aviva, on TikTok <laughs> at when Isabel met Aviva, and on Twitter at Isabel met Aviva. We're both on Instagram and Twitter. If you have any questions or need advice or just want to talk about screenwriting in general, my Instagram is at Isabel underscore K underscore T, and my Twitter is at It Writes Comedy. Those will both be in the show notes because you probably won't remember them. <laughs> Aviva, what are your socials? Yeah. So mine is just at Aviva Pelton, P-E-L-T-I-N. And also we should mention our website, www.isabelmetaviva.com. We're really proud of it. And yeah, you can chat with us through that portal as well. Awesome. Well, goodbye for now. See you next week. And don't forget to watch and read as many rom-coms as possible.